Welcome to Wildwood College Life of Wildwood Community Church in Norman. We are four following Jesus together to the glory of God. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9.45 for Bible teaching, breakfast, and fellowship, and would love to see you there this week. Follow us on Instagram at Wildwood College for more information. And with that, let's dive into this week's message. Glad you guys are here this morning. It's going to be a great Sunday. We are continuing the Sermon on the Mount, so you got to get your Bibles out. We're going to be in Matthew 6. We're going to be studying a lot of verses today, but they are so relevant. It's amazing when we open God's Word how relevant it is to our life, okay? So I have a question. I can answer this question just by looking around, but some of you are hidden. Who in here needs corrective lenses? Anybody? AKA glasses or contacts? Yeah, my fellow blind people, what's up? Okay, so my fellow bad vision friends, here is the deal. Growing up, I had perfect vision. Perfect vision, 2020, when I took driver's ed, didn't need corrective lenses. That all changed when I was a freshman in, high, in uh, college. I was driving at night and I looked up and I couldn't see what the road sign said. Bad time to find out that you need corrective lenses. I'll just say that. So I'm driving at night, can't see what the signs actually say. So I need to get corrective lenses. And after that, I got the lenses, I, I got glasses. And what I noticed is I started to see things so, so much clearer. Like I realized leaves weren't just like blurs on trees, but they had like outlines. That was really cool whenever I figured that out. And you know, one of the things when I wake up in the morning, is any of, any of you guys do this when you wake up in the morning and you're like, you can't see anything? Well, when I wake up, I don't open my eyes and look for my glasses. I just drag my hand across my nightstand until I find them. That's what I do. And when I take my glasses off, I notice something in interesting. And if I hold words or something close to my face, I can actually read it. But as things get further away, it becomes a lot more difficult to discern what it says or what it actually is. And if I were to take my glasses off while I was driving, I would be able to see the speedometer, but I wouldn't be able to see the speed limit. And the reality is I can usually see what is right in front of me, right? I can usually see what's right in front of me. And the two interconnected ideas that we're going to be talking about today, treasure and hope, are highly connected by sight. Our gaze or our focus has a tremendous impact on determining what we truly treasure and what we truly, where, where our hope is truly found. And for many, our treasure, what it is, is whatever is right in front of us, what consumes our focus, what the only thing that we can pay attention to, or it's this clear path to get what we want. Likewise, our anxious spirits often come from being unable to see the future or being able to control it with, you know, obvious other factors involved in that, right? But usually our treasure and our hope is hope problem is simply that our gaze is set upon something else, something other than what God has shown us is best. Our focus is on something other than what God has shown us is best. And in a sense, we've developed this worldly nearsightedness, this worldly nearsightedness. And today I think we can get 2020 spiritual vision. Okay, that is the goal today. We can see clearly what Jesus intended for us to understand by where and what to set our gaze upon. And our focus reveals our true treasure and hope. So what should our focus be? 
Well, to receive spiritual sight, we should read the words of Jesus to discover that because God's treasure and hope is better, we should move our gaze from worldly things to heavenly things. So, we're going to see how our focus reveals our true treasure and hope by looking at number one, our everlasting treasure, number two, our unshakable peace, and number three, our ultimate hope and treasure. So let's read the first part of Matthew 6 and take a look at this first idea of our everlasting treasure. Verses 19 through 21 says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So in this section, Jesus is going to make three contrasts. And the first one is the one about treasure. And as we've learned throughout the Sermon of the Mount, a citizen of the kingdom of God has a different value system than the world. They have a different value system than the world. And the first is that everlasting treasure that Jesus talks about. This entire section essentially focuses on the contrast between the temporary versus the eternal. The temporary versus the eternal, the everlasting. And the comparisons are pretty clear, right? In the first, we have treasures on earth. And the facts are, treasures on earth are where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. So what could it be that Jesus is trying to make the point here? Well, the treasures on earth can be lost. They can be lost. And it's pretty easy to identify what an earthly treasure is, right? They're those things that will end when we do. There's those things that will end when we do. Our bank accounts, our possessions, our fame, our followers, our house, our cars, the things that the world lauds as life goals expire. But there are other earthly treasures that we can hold on to that aren't necessarily monetary, but they're still possessions that we don't get to keep in the next life. For instance, although family is a blessing, Marriage is a blessing. They are not your possessions forever. They don't belong to you. You are not the sole proprietor of those things. The reality is we can lose, and some of us have experienced this in our rooms, in this room, that we can lose our dearest loved ones at any point. We cannot view them as possessions or as our right, as if they belong to us. Because whenever we lose them, our whole world is shattered. It's because we've put our treasure in something that God never intended us to. See, earthly treasures are material wealth or possessions that are temporary and can be destroyed. The Apostle Paul even says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So in the inverse, what is a heavenly treasure? If we don't seek earthly treasures, what is a heavenly treasure? Well, heavenly treasures are spiritual matters that bring God glory and cannot be destroyed. So let's look at the facts. Treasures in heaven is where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. And so whenever we think of pursuing heavenly treasures, the reality is that those are secure. Those don't have an expiration date. They will last in eternity and will last forever. 
Just last week, we talked about three spiritual disciplines. In each section, it ends with Jesus saying, and the Father who sees in secret will reward you. Will reward you. This is a heavenly reward that will not expire. So private praying, fasting, and giving to the needies, the needy are ways to build up this heavenly treasure. Other ways are using your gifts, such as maybe singing or teaching to bring God glory. Doing things excellently, whether you're, you know, an athlete or whether you're in school, doing your schoolwork with excellence to point to God and not yourself. That's a way to bring God glory, doing things as if you were doing them for the Lord. There are many things that can bring God glory, but the best way to know if you're actually building up heavenly treasure instead of earthly treasure is this, is this lens to kind of to look through, to see clearly, and it's to look at what God cares about and then align our hearts accordingly. So how do we know what God cares about? Well, if we have a worldly nearsightedness problem, then we have to put on the spiritual lens that the Bible provides, that God's holy word provides. We look at his word to see what he values, what he cares about. Students, I, of, I often hear this question. You've probably asked it yourself or written it in your journal. What is God's will for my life? What is God's will for my life? Yet the very place that we often look is to the Bible, the very place that we can find that. The Bible is where we learn what God cares about. If we want to know God, if we want to know what he cares about, then we look to how he has revealed himself in his word. So Jesus ends this example with the phrase, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So using that as an example, do we want to know God's will for our life so that we can have the peace of knowing where our life is going? Or is it to bring God glory? Because if it's only focused on us, that might be building an earthly treasure but it's focused on building God's kingdom that can be building a heavenly one. The other two examples Jesus uses here, talking about earthly treasure, is the eye is the lamp of the body and serving a master. In verse 22, Jesus calls the eye the lamp of the body. The eye in this day was a common expression of the soul. So the eye is the lamp of the body because just like the, the lamp, the eye is how you see things. So in connection with the previous section on treasure, what could Jesus be actually getting at with this connection of light and darkness in this section? So let's read it together. Verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So this whole section is talking about treasure, material, temporary versus everlasting. So it's essentially getting at this double-minded person. A double-minded person trying to pursue everlasting God and an everlasting happiness is impossible. A room cannot be dark and illuminated at the same time. And I believe what Jesus wants us to see is this. If the eye is the expression of our soul, then where we are looking where our attention is consumed is likely the treasure that we are seeking. I'll say that one more time. If the eye is the expression of the soul, then where we are looking, where our attention is consumed, is likely the treasure we are seeking. If we are consumed with success, 
popularity, a secure future, finding a spouse, seeking a comfortable life, then we could be full of darkness. If that becomes all that we are focused on, we could be missing the light of the Lord. We should look to what Jesus cares about, not indulging in what we want. The final picture in verse 24 is serving a master. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Temporary treasure versus everlasting treasure. Light versus darkness. Now he makes us consider that we cannot serve both God and money. We are slave to one or the other. God desires our full devotion. And here it's clear that the love of money and devotion to God are mutually, diametrically opposed. They're mutually exclusive. It reminds me of what Paul says in Romans 6 when he's talking about this idea of, of slavery, of bond servants. And when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things to which you are now ashamed, our sin? For, in the, end, for the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Once we commit our lives to God, we are enlisted into kingdom service. And using a picture that was very common in the first century, this, this bond servant, Jesus and Paul make it clear that the loyalty shifts for the citizen of the kingdom. The loyalty shifts. The sin to which we were enslaved to led to death, but the heavenly things, the things of God, lead to sanctification and eternal life. We were all once slaves to sin, and only, only, if we are in Christ, can we have these beautiful gifts of becoming holy and having an eternal life with God? Because when we trust in Christ, our gaze becomes not on ourselves, but upon our beautiful Savior. When, G when God, whenever we're coming to the pearly gates, this is Alistair Begg's famous clip, he says, what are you going to say when they ask, why should I let you in? If it's anything in the first person, because I, because I, we're looking to ourselves. But if it's because Jesus said I could come, this idea that because Jesus is the one who did the work, when our gaze is set upon the person and work of Jesus Christ, that's what leads to sanctification and an eternal life. When we set our gaze upon him and what he cares about, this is what happens to our heart. This is what happens to our heart. It says, there is nothing we can do but to follow you. There's nothing we can do but to follow you. Become slaves of righteousness because when we realize how great a salvation we've received, we become people who are loyal to the way of Jesus and obedient out of love and service because it is the only logical response. It is the only logical response to the love that we've received. Okay, so I want to end this idea of everlasting treasure by looking at the story of the rich young ruler. If you want to turn your, your Bibles to Matthew 19, same book, Matthew 19. Let's read it together in verse 16. It's beautiful. Verse 16, Matthew 19. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? 
And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go. Sell what you possess, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The message is loud and clear, right? You cannot serve God and money. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But what's amazing about this story is who church tradition holds as the rich young ruler. The person who wrote the Gospel of Mark, John Mark, the missionary that went on missionary journeys with Paul and had a few spats, but did some incredible work for Jesus Christ, is, is believed to be this rich young ruler. So what does that tell us? Well, it tells us it's never too late to repent. It's never too late to repent and make Jesus the Lord of all, even your possessions even your possessions. So let's talk about these ideas at our table, okay? When you think of what you're most focused on in life right now, what would it be? Is that thing a temporary earthly treasure or an everlasting heavenly treasure? Number two, what earthly treasures are you seeking that are taking up too much room in your heart? And number three, how can you look to the gift of Jesus, the ultimate heavenly treasure, instead of things of this world this week? Let's take about five, seven minutes to talk about this. I'll give you guys a few more minutes. All right, guys, hope you had good talk at your tables. We'll have some time after the next section. All right. So we talked about what happens when our gaze is on earthly treasures instead of heavenly ones. And next we're going to talk about a heavenly hope. So what happens when our hope is in our circumstances changing? Well, it leads to anxious thoughts. Our second point today will focus on our unshakable Peace, unshakable peace. For many people today, the mere mention of the word anxiety gets the hair on the back of our neck to, to raise up, right? Today in America, we are more aware of the mental health crisis than ever before. And according to the Anxiety Disorders Association of America, general anxiety disorder affects 6.8 million adults or 3.1% of the U.S. population. The reality is there are more people around us who are suffering silently. And some of you in the audience, like myself, can relate all too well to this. And some of you have never felt this way before, but I want to encourage you that, about what Jesus has to say on this matter. And I'm not going to be speaking about the biological causes of anxiety and depression today. Those are real and affect so many, but I do want to talk about the circumstantial causes of anxiety that can lead to the triggering of, of more and more intense feelings of anxiety. Because that's what Jesus addresses here. I personally struggle with depression, and this passage reminds me, guys, this is the beautiful reminder, that my Heavenly Father cares about me and gives me hope. Despite my issues, there are faithful steps of obedience for my good. And much of anxiety and depression are feelings of hopeless, hopelessness. 
Yet we're reminded that our hope is not in our circumstances changing or our feelings changing or our mental state changing, but in the sovereign provision of our Heavenly Father. So let's read what Jesus teaches in verse 25. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It is, an, is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They, neither snow, they either sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. For itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So there are three circumstances and fears that Jesus addresses that lead to anxious thoughts. So let's go through them each. The first is our sustenance. Jesus addresses the hidden critic's response in this, this section. If we don't seek earthly treasure, if we don't seek monetary things, how will we take care of our basic needs? And Jesus uses pictures to respond. If the kingdom citizen is not concerned with making money, the question is how Will they feed ourselves? Well, Jesus helps us see that God will provide. Our fear is this. It's a lack of provision. A lack of provision. Our hope is not that we can do it on our own or that we can provide for ourselves, but that God provides. How do we know that God provides? Look at the birds. If God provides for the birds, won't he, won't he provide for his children? God takes care of the birds and they never lack food. Won't he provide for us? Next is our clothing. Really, this is a concern that centers on being unsafe, right? Being unprotected. If we don't have clothing, how will we be protected from the elements? How will we be safe from the cold? So our fear is of being unsafe. But our hope is that God protects. God protects. How do we know this? Look at the lilies. If God clothes these beautiful lilies, these flowers of the field, won't he clothe us? Won't he protect us? Final one is our life. Jesus tells us not to worry about our own life. For our generation, he would have to take away our phones for this to happen, right? To get us to stop thinking about ourselves. Because that is what our phones do. Every notification is a notification for us. Every tweet, every Instagram post, every... TikTok has been curated for us. I think one thing that applies to being so concerned about us is our fear of the future, right? The fear of what will happen to our bodies, what will happen to our life. And our fear being that of the future, the fear of the unknown. Is our hope in making our five-year plan like bulletproof? Or is our hope in that God has a plan? that he is working all things together. And how do we know that God has a plan for our life? 
Well, looking at the previous two examples, look at the lilies and the, the birds. He says, how much more valuable are you than they? Do you realize that you have been imprinted with the image of God? Your value is not tied to your circumstance. Your value is not tied to, to what you've done or what's been done to you. Your value is tied to the fact that you are made in his image. Flowers of the field, birds of the sky are not made in God's image. He cares about you. He loves you. If we are more valuable, valuable than those things, then we do not need to be anxious about our future. So if we're not to be anxious, what should we be instead? Well, it's pretty clear, and it comes back to our focus. Again, reframing our focus. Jesus says to seek first what? Making sure that your bank account is secure, making sure that your job is lined up, making sure that your five-year plan is rock solid. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. In other words, seek first God and the thing God, things God cares about, and he will take care of your needs. He will take care of your needs. And there's a beautiful reality for the citizen of the kingdom is that the things that God will add to us are the necessities of life that we could be anxious about. God promises, God promises here to meet the needs of those who are committed to following God and seeking to further his kingdom. If not in this life, in the next life, that we will be provided for, that we will be secure, that we will be safe. Our future is secure. So it comes back to what our focus is on, right? Is it on our needs, what we don't have, the things we maybe conflate wants with needs, our current situation, or is it God's kingdom and furthering it? It's amazing how when we move our focus away from ourselves, how less anxious we become. If you're unaware, there is a world prayer night that takes place every other Thursday at Wildwood, hosted by a couple college students. And this past Thursday, there was a woman in our church who attended, and she's an accountant. And she came to this prayer night, and we asked, how are, she, how are you doing? And she was just so overwhelmed with her work situation, okay? She had clients that were dropping stuff off at the last minute. Her internet went out that day, and she told us she had this thing called girl dinner. Do you know what that is, girl dinner? I didn't know, it sounded horrible. But, you know, her situation wasn't ideal, right? And then we started hearing about the spiritual, spiritual climate of France. There was a French foreign exchange student there, and she was telling us about how much France needed the gospel and how much France was lost and were not following Jesus and were so far from him. And what I noticed is that in this woman's disposition, she started caring about France, and she started caring and asking questions from this, this French student oh, what, what is that like? What, are your, what do your friends say? What Are your parents following Jesus? Like, what's your church like? And then during the prayer night, we started praying and we started seeking God and asking for Him to work in France. She started focusing not on her situation, but on God's kingdom and His righteousness. I didn't sense in her the anxiety that was present at the beginning of our prayer time, but I sensed instead the peace of God that transcends all understanding, that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. 
And it's amazing what can happen when our focus shifts away from our current problems, our current situation, and it turns to God's big picture mission for the world. When we realize that we are not the main character, when we are not, it's not all about us, but we are a part of God's story, like we talked about last week. See, I don't know where you guys are in your own personal experience with anxiety. Maybe it's social anxiety. Maybe it's anxiety about grades or success. Maybe it's anxiety about a broken relationship or a broken friendship. Maybe it's even anxiety about your basic needs being met. Regardless, wherever you are, God tells us to turn our gaze away from our situation and instead turn to our Heavenly Father. It can be easy to wallow in our situation, to complain about it to our friends, and forget to pray to the one who can actually do something about it. In prayer, in good deeds to others, and bringing God glory in all things, this is what it looks like to seek the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't mean this will fix everything. It doesn't mean that the anxiety or the depression that you feel will go away but it does keep our focus on heavenly things instead of our temporary suffering. But ultimately, friends, you know, it comes down to this idea that whenever we are recovering from our worldly nearsightedness, the only hope that we have is looking away from ourselves and our circumstances. And all of these commands are impossible without a personal relationship with Christ. It is only through the Holy Spirit living in us that we can actually seek righteousness. We read in Romans that no one is righteous, not even one. That means that the only way that we can seek righteousness is if we receive a righteousness that is not our own. And that only comes by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ. See, I want to end with a question today. It's from the Heidelberg Catechism, and this is a biblical confession that help believers learn and latch on to biblical truth. And it's the first question uh, of the actual catechism, and I think it's very relevant today. When we treasure and hope in earthly things, we will be dissatisfied. We will feel hopeless. So what should we do instead? I want you to think about this question. How would you answer this question? What is your only hope in life and death. What is your only hope in life and death? Do you have an answer for this? Do you have an answer that you can give? For some of us, we might say, yeah, I've got a handle on my situation. I can figure it out on my own. For some of us, we might just say Jesus, but we don't really know what that means. Why why is Jesus our only hope in life and death? I know that's the right answer, but I don't know how. Well, the Bible is very, very clear about this, that our only hope in life and death is this. It's going to be on the screen. You guys are going to discuss it at your tables. But it's this. Our only hope in life and death is this. I'm going to read this slowly so you can really marinate on it, okay? Our only hope in life and death is that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way 
that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. Our only comfort in life and death is not any treasure this world can offer, nor is it in our circumstances changing. That's the difference between the Christian life and, a lot, and an atheistic life that has no belief in God and his sovereignty. The atheist's hope in their depression and their anxiety is that things will get better. The Christian's hope in their anxiety, depression, is that in every single thing, God can use it. That it, it, it matters. It can be used either for our sanctification, for his glory, for his plan for the world. Nothing is meaningless. Our hope is that we are not our own, but belong to God. Like Jesus said, are you not more valuable than they? You're immensely valuable to God. So, how do we recover from our worldly nearsightedness? Well, our focus reveals our true treasure and hope. We saw today what it looks like to have an everlasting treasure and unshakable peace and our ultimate hope and treasure in Jesus Christ. And we see that because God's treasure and hope is better, we should move our gaze from worldly to heavenly things. And I want to end with this. I want you to consider when you are dissatisfied with life, when you are anxious, just ask yourself this, what am I looking at? What am I focused on? Remember, the greatest treasure and hope is not within ourselves or in this world. It is only in our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. When we find our Savior, we have found something beautiful, something glorious, something magnificent, eternal life. It's like this. It's like the pearl of great price. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Are you sold out for Jesus? Are you sold out? Is he the most valuable thing in your life? Would you sell everything you had to find Jesus? Well, the amazing thing, friends, is that his free gift of eternal life is free, but it will change everything. It will change everything. Let's give all that we have to Jesus, and you will never regret it. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you talk about such things as misplaced treasure and misplaced hope. Lord, I pray that we would always look to your word to discover the truth of what you have to say about situations, that it would take primacy in our life. We would seek it over worldly wisdom. Lord, I pray that you would be glorified in our lives and our discussion, and that ultimately, Lord, you would get the glory today. We praise you for your word and for your revelation to us that we might know you better. Amen. All right, guys, talk about these next questions. Read this passage in Philippians about praying when we're anxious. Read question one on your table. 
There should be, and I'll go around and pass some more out, but there should be the question and answer from the Heidelberg Catechism in the box on your table, okay? Has the question and answer. I want you guys to talk about it. which line resonates with you the most and why.